preservation and the work we're doing in the actual fund is social justice. We're reclaiming our space. We're reclaiming our history. We're looking at addressing the deficiency in inequity and how African-American sites and sites of color have been preserved in the preservation movement for decades or well over a century. It's making a small dent in what has been done in the past and correcting it, but it's a start. That's Tiffany Tolbert, Associate Director of the African-American Cultural Heritage Action Fund at the National Trust for Historic Preservation. As we know, many of the places where significant African-American history occurred have been neglected and have gone unrecognized for the important role they hold in the fabric of American society. Welcome, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. The National Trust for Historic Preservation recognizes that black history is American history. Following the 2017 violent protest in Charlottesville, Virginia, the Trust launched the African American Cultural Heritage Fund with the intention of preserving, protecting, and expanding America's historical narratives. As Tiffany tells us, And so it started as a $25 million initiative. That was the goal to raise $25 million. And part of that was to be able to give grants to organizations, entities, and projects across the country that were preserving African-American history. This is the fourth year of us giving grants. We've given over $4 million to projects across the country. And this has gone for With our African American Culture Action Fund grants, the funding can go for capital projects. So, you know, rehab, restorative work, they can go for program development, capacity building and planning rehab projects or more strategic planning. So we've given grants to projects in all of those categories across the country. Tiffany tells us that the Action Fund also offers direct assistance to grant recipients And they have a research component that has funded studies across the country. And the Action Fund also provides grants to historically black colleges, HBCs, to help the institutions develop cultural heritage stewardship plans. We awarded HBCUs grants earlier this year, around $700,000 total grants to eight HBCUs to do that planning. So they're in the midst of that right now. So the Action Fund touches a lot of things in a lot of different ways. But of course, the grant program is the most popular because it is a way to get pretty substantial grants to projects and to entities on the ground that are working to save this history. Given that so much of the African-American experience has been focused in certain places, we hear about Harlem, we hear about the South, obviously, your program is special in that it encompasses all of America. It encompasses the places we often think of as flyover country. How has the program really sought to tell a broader American story geographically, as well as in terms of historical figures that we may not necessarily know about? Well, it sought to do that, I would say, just very intentionally. So, of course, we do have those places across the country that we think of are, that are synonymous with the Black experience, Atlanta, D.C., Pittsburgh, St. Louis, you know, Harlem. And it's to say, well, we, if we want to tell the full story, we have to get in between all of that and realize all the places that African-Americans have touched. I 
worked at our Chicago office. I'm working from home now in Indiana, but I'm originally from Alabama. So I really knew nothing of the African-American experience in Indiana or the Midwest. Cause you know, we just always said it was up North <laughs> until I moved up here and really learning about African-Americans that came as a part of the great migration and really established in areas of Indianapolis and Gary and the South side of Chicago. And it's something that we have done a disservice, one, an educational standpoint, because I did not necessarily learn about that too much growing up in the South. But once I got up here, I had a better understanding and I was able to connect that to the national narrative of the movement of African-Americans. And so we've been very intentional about that to make a push to talk about the African-American experience in the West, you know, on the West Coast and Pacific Northwest. And these are places that we don't think of there being African-Americans, but there were, and there were pretty established communities that have been there for well over a hundred years. And so we're always excited to see projects and organizations coming to us out West, Pacific Northwest and the Midwest with those projects and sharing that history. And then we work to whether we're funding it or just elevating the story, which is something we always encourage our research fellows to do. I was actually surprised to see two sites in Colorado, because when we think about Colorado, we think about snow, you know, yeah, um, mountains. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Colorado, we were very excited to have those projects. And even, and I would say, you know, those are the projects that were awarded, but we had many more applicants. You know, we get hundreds of letters of intent for projects each year for the grants. But when we looked at those projects, one, we look at to say, if it's a place where it needs a boost. Like we really have to start to promote this history to really solidify it, to document it. You know, what are the entities that are best prepared to do that? And so in Colorado, we have a statewide approach to this with it History Colorado. I can't remember the entity that will kind of set the framework for looking at these sites statewide. And so, you know, we're looking to say, where's the growth? Does this, what can be built from this with this funding that we're doing? And then also wanting to support projects that are black led, that organizations that have been doing this for years outside of the, you know, larger effort by traditional preservation organizations. Like the Black American West Museum and Heritage Center in Colorado who have been working for many, many years with that site and telling that story and history. And so we always want to have a balance that we are promoting and supporting organizations led by African-Americans, people of color that are focusing on our history. What I find interesting is that you're supporting not just landmarks and structures, but you're also supporting awareness and interpretation. Uh, clearly, that seems to be intentional. Tell us about the focus on actually storytelling that goes beyond just uh, helping to preserve physical structures and buildings and so forth. Well, that really relates to just the African-American tradition of history. It's obviously it's a very oral tradition. And it's also recognizing in the context of preservation, a lot of our sites are no longer standing, that they have been lost. And with that, the visual reminder of where African-Americans have been is lost. And But we can still do interpretation. We can still document. We can still do storytelling. And, you know, we're having this conversation nationally now, and we continue to have it about history around African-American history or critical race, whatever you want to call it. But 
it's easy when you can't physically see something to deny that that actually occurred or that did not happen. And so with storytelling, with interpretation, and we have many opportunity, opportunities to do that now outside of the traditional museum context, there's virtual engagement and online exhibits and things like that. We're saying that you cannot deny this. You can't just say just because this is not there anymore, it never happened. What we have looked our funding to do is to translate is that there's a lot of this history that we know within our communities, but it's not found in the traditional research context. It is very oral history. It hasn't been researched, it hasn't been archived. And so look, letting entities and communities work together to bring those stories out, bring it into the public history realm and find ways to present it to the broader public is a way of reclaiming our story and taking ownership of it. There's a lot of research that's done on the African-American experience, but I believe that it needs to be rooted in the African-American community and we need to be the ones doing it. I'm so happy that you're doing this because one of the things that we have been doing in the travel journalism space Mm -hmm. is pushing, we call it expanding the narrative. So pushing for the full and, and truthful account of American history. The executive director of the Action Fund, Brent Legs, he always mentions, always, well, not mentions, but states and believes that, you know, preservation and the work we're doing in the Action Fund is social justice. You know, we're reclaiming our space. We're reclaiming our history. We're looking at addressing the deficiency and inequity and how African-American sites and sites of color have been preserved in the preservation movement for decades or well over a century. It's making a small dent in what has been done in the past and correcting it, but it's a start. And so within the preservation movement, we have work to do in terms of what we've contributed to in regard to not acknowledging the contributions of African-Americans and people of color in American history. We're addressing that even with our own historic sites. The National Trust owns 27 historic sites. A number of them are plantations, such as Montpelier, um, the home of James Madison. And if you saw the recent articles of the descendants um, group of Montpelier getting equal status to manage Montpelier along with the Montpelier entity. That's huge because it's saying we now have a place to make sure the story of those that were enslaved on that site has equal story and interpretation and acknowledgement as James Madison and his family. That's just one site, obviously, in this country, but there are many more that we have to say those that were enslaved and bondage have equal status to that history and the telling of that history and that history should be told. We've approached also with our sites of enslavement in regard to how they're marketed for events, you know, not allowing them to be marketed for weddings with the idea of a, you know, Southern plantation wedding. With that, we, we, the Action Fund has been leading and addressing how we market our sites and how they're used. And that's a way that we are, again, that social justice, we're acknowledging what we've contributed to and intentionally changing that. You've touched on uh, some, of the, some of the rural uh, places. Uh, we've uh, uh, heard that come through. Many of these sites are in rapidly gentrifying and uh, neighborhoods around the country. How do you see this program working to preserve African-American history in places where African-Americans are disappearing because of gentrification? Well, I see it as one challenging 
what is sometimes pushed from an economic standpoint is in terms of development, like taking Harlem, for example, and the economic or commercial interest to rebrand, which is going largely, it's not unchallenged, but those that are challenging are not getting the support they need. So I see it as maintaining that you cannot change what Harlem was. You cannot rewrite that narrative. But money talks and, you know, developers are going to buy out people and they're going to move and they, you know, and that's what's going to happen. But you cannot erase Blackness from Harlem. And so we, by supporting organizations like Save Harlem Now, we're giving them the boost to be an entity that remains in Harlem, has the capacity, staff, the funding to lead this advocacy against those changes that are happening in those cities. Similarly with Atlanta or Chicago, that is what we see as a way of helping that. Obviously the issue is bigger and there are many social reasons why that displacement is happening, but we cannot leave our activist organizations and our advocacy organizations without the support to continue to make that case for make preserving the history of those areas. You're listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Discover the world through stories at worldfootprints.com and make sure to subscribe to the World Footprints newsletter for compelling and exclusive content. Marcus Garvey tells us that a people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. Here's more of our conversation with Tiffany Tolbert, Associate Director of the African American Cultural Heritage Action Fund at the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Another area that isn't acknowledged for the vast African American history it holds is Puerto Rico. Yes, 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 yes. Former um, plantation in Puerto Rico. I would say, you know, we are we definitely support the diaspora and projects. So this is our first site that's been out of the continental U.S. I would say it, it was a very striking application or request because it is dealing with slavery, a very brutal, if you can make a distinction, of um, how slavery was managed on Puerto Rico. But again, we have this organization that is committed to telling that full story at that site. And it's not going to be a pretty story in any sense of the word, but it's needed. And they have acknowledged that they have to do this. And again, working with descendants as well in Puerto Rico about that history. It seems like some of the work that the Action Fund does is unearth history. For example, one of the grant recipients is a National Negro Opera Company, and I have never heard of that arts organization. The National Negro Opera Company, which was on 11 most endangered a few years ago, so that's how I became aware of it. For me, again, coming from a musical background and music, anything with culture and art and African-American life, I am always supportive of. And I was really excited (laughs) to see this because, again, I think it shows the different dimensions of African-American life. A lot of people are comfortable with what they think they know about the African-American experience and they want to box in. And when you introduce something new where you're talking about 
opera, classical music, this, you know, entity supporting that purpose, everyone is like you. They're like, whoa, like never knew that. But I'm like, well, why wouldn't that be (laughs) the case? So they've been doing a lot to preserve that site. It's, It's a challenging site. It needs a lot of work, but having that support financially to stabilize is going to be transformational for that. So we love to hear when people are like, I never knew that. That is, that's the best feeling in the world because we really are changing the narrative and adding new history. I'm excited. And as an arts advocate, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Anything with art. Yeah. I I love music. My other two, one, two of my other projects is Nina Simone's Childhood Home and the John and Alice Coltrane Home. I manage those projects as well. So two well, three icons of music. So I'm always like in awe. <laughs> I get to work on those projects and go to those sites. One of the recipients this year is one that I'm excited about, the African-American Heritage Trail of Martha's Vineyard, because that's yes. the place where Tanya and I have spent a lot of time and we're headed back there in just a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is interesting, too, because it goes to the interpretation of, yeah. of history. Yes. Yes. And I would say this is one that we were really super excited about because one, it is Martha's Vineyard. And I think um, we as African-Americans know there is and was an African-American presence historically in Martha's Vineyard. But the broader American culture don't think of African-Americans when they think of Martha's Vineyard. So we saw this as a way of supporting this organization, which has been there for a while, and bolster their efforts and take them to the next level to be able to tell that story. Because like you, like you say, you're going there next week. How many people go to Monsters Vineyard every year and are not thinking about that? So allowing this organization to really brand, to really expand and be able to tell that true story is going to reach a numerous new audiences to the African-American experience and the culture in Monsters Vineyard for African-Americans. We wondered how many of the grant recipients were available to the public. Certainly, some sites like Fort Monroe and Hampton University, two of this year's 40 grant recipients, are open to the public, but what about the other 38? So the Capital Ones, definitely, they might not be open for like guided tours, but you can go see them. So, you know, for Hampton University, that is around dealing with the environment to preserve a Charles Wright mural in the building. So they'll be addressing HVAC and making sure it's museum quality so that the art is preserved, which we thought was very interesting. We don't preserve art. We don't give grants to preserve art, but by preserving the building, you're protecting the art. So that makes that makes Hampton very unique. Roberts Temple Church of God in Christ, which is the site of Emmett Till's funeral and extended visitation. That's another project I've been working on since it was on 11 most. So you can visit the church. It's still an active church. Um, It's not, you know, regularly open like on a tour schedule, but it is there. So, I mean, these are all buildings that are in sites that are accessible. It's just that they're not all of them are like fully operational as a historic site and sort of a traditional tour. But if you're in the city and you're exploring you can definitely go see them. One of the things that emerges from just looking at all of the recipients is just that there's so much history that it's just not possible to to see it all or or do it all, certainly at in, in you know in perhaps one or two trips. But mm-hmm. it just kind of begs the question going forward and looking into the future, 
How do you see these attractions actually working in a way to help uh, create uh, more of a uh, African-American national tourism footprint where people would be, you know, traveling across the country, perhaps to see these sites and explore places. What's the vision? How are all of these things really going to be brought together, I guess, to tell that story? A long-term vision, which at the Action Fund we were thinking about, and this will probably come into the next phase of the initiative we're moving, is a national mapping project which would link and document all these sites in a virtual way. And then from there, being able to push that out so that there is a one point that people wanting to explore can go to and follow this national trail. So that is a vision that we do have, and we're hoping to implement that in the next few years. Right now, what we do seek to do is there are a number of regional state African-American trails, and we like to connect with them and make sure these sites are included. It's interesting that the states don't even know about them, you know, until we fund and they're and we're like, well, yeah, here's the information. So we, we right now, that's what we want to do. But we do see the need and there are others, such as a lot of colleges and other national entities entities that recognize that that's a need. So the Action Fund wants to lead in that and create this national mapping project, which would allow us to develop a tourism portal, if you will, people to explore. It's a big lift, but I think we can do it. And I think people would definitely appreciate having that and having something accessible. We also encourage the sites, particularly when they're applying for interpretation of programming dollars is to think beyond the traditional static museum idea that really you have an opportunity to do things virtually, to do things digitally. And we saw a lot of creativity come out of the last year with COVID. And also thinking of your historic site, not as a museum, but as a historic site where interpretation occurs, where you can have experiences. So if it's a site of art or culture, you know, there are performances, there are talks, there are different events that people can engage with the site as well as learn through different programming. So we always work with them, provide technical assistance to help them expand their view outside of the traditional house museum model. So this might be asking you to choose your favorite child, which is never a fair question. Uh, (laughs) But out of the recipients for this year, we're not even going to look at last year, this year alone, the 40 that you received, is there one that you received that you said, oh my gosh, we have to fund this. And is there a story that you uncovered through... um, learning more about a a particular site that really resonated with you? Well, there definitely are. And it's more really self-serving because there are projects that I was already working with one-on-one. So um, I'm always a cheerleader for them. I would say first Roberts Temple, Church of God in Christ, obviously because of the association with Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobley, his mother, Roberts Temple, you know, she chose to have the funeral there and made the decision for it to be an open casket funeral. So the images that we saw in Jet were there at Roberts Temple. And outside of that event in 1955, it's just a long history in on the south side of Chicago and what Roberts Temple is. So that was one where I was like, yeah, we're definitely (laughs) funding this and helping them 
address the deferred maintenance and stabilization. Another one is the Sarah Rector House in um, Kansas City. And I became familiar with this site through working on another past grantee, the former house of former home of Satchel Page, which we awarded a grant to a few years ago in Kansas City. And while I was there and traveling there, people were like, oh, do you know about Sarah Rector? Do you know about this house? And I was like, no. And, you know, went to meet with the organization that owned the house and was working on it and just really got enamored with her story of being known as the richest colored girl in America. And this house that really hosted the who's who of African-Americans in Kansas City and those that would come to Kansas City and that is still standing there, one of the few remaining landmarks from what was the African-American neighborhood of Kansas City. So I've been pushing for us to, and we've helped them on a number of cases through other grant funds at the National Trust, but they're at the point now moving forward with rehabilitation. And so I was really happy because it's an amazing story of African-American women's history, Native American history, and the story of slavery in the Native American community of entertainment, art, culture, HBCU. She graduated from Tuskegee. It's just an amazing story. And once that site is preserved and being able to interpret and tell her story, it's going to be really transformational for Kansas City. There is so much depth to what the African American Cultural Heritage Fund is doing. So with all the stories that Tiffany is uncovering, we tweaked our standard final question. If you could choose to break bread with somebody past or present at one of these sites, who would that be? And what site would you choose to break, uh, enjoy a meal at? Wow, that is a question. I would honestly, Probably John and Alice Coltrane. They were a grantee. The project, the house was a grantee the first year. And just, you know, that being the site where he composed a Love Supreme and Upstairs Bedroom. And she recorded her first five albums in the basement studio while it also just being a family home. I would just love to be in that space and have dinner with them and their family and just understand that there are these two geniuses in suburban Long Island in a very, you know, normal house, but just creating amazing African-American art and culture and just understand just for some reason just be like but you're normal (laughs) you know this is not you know it's not the way I'm envisioning it so I would I would love that yeah that is an interesting question there there are more that I would say as well but I think I would be very interested to um, talk to John and Alice Oh, thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you for your part in preserving uh, our history and and a more accurate version of our history. Um, Really appreciate the work you're doing. No, thank you. And thank you all for what you are doing. This is wonderful. When Tiffany talked about John and Alice Coltrane being her kind of ideal or wish list guest to have dinner with, it occurred to me afterwards that my grandparents were named John and Alice, John Johnson and Alice Johnson. And for some reason, that really had an effect on me. I had a moment thinking about that. Well, there's a lot of history, and it just goes to show that the African-American story is relevant at any time, and it has so many touchstones uh, to us. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think as I reflect about our conversation with Tiffany, one of the things that stands out to me is that 
we need to really think about history not so much in terms of what's there, but what isn't there, and still telling those stories with fervor and importance to our existence. Uh, It's not always available that there will be some marker or some landmark that will be there, but those stories live on just as they do in the traditional African-American oral history as we pass down stories from generation to generation. And so I think it's nice to see that they recognize that that's part of the African-American contribution to storytelling. And just as she said, just because a landmark or uh, any type of site or what have you is not there does not mean that that history, that history did not occur there. And I think that's a very important point for us all to remember. Amen. In closing, let's reflect on the words of William Murtaugh, first keeper of the National Register of Historic Places. It has been said that at its best, preservation engages the past in a conversation with the present over a mutual concern for the future. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we thank you so much for choosing to spend this time with us. And thank you for giving us a space to really help us all discover the world through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.